listening to On The Road with Mike and Andy, the number one Australian weekly trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're here to bring an independent voice to truckies right around Australia. So please do us a favour, listen in on your favourite podcast platform, hit like and subscribe, leave a comment and don't forget to tell your mates about us. On the Road is brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. G'day and welcome back to episode 76 of On the Road. On this week's show, Mike responds to listener feedback when he's joined by third generation trucking business owner operator Chris Rowe to talk about rates and how they affect owner drivers and the safety of truckies in general. Singer songwriter Jamie McDell shares with us her life growing up on a yacht in the Mediterranean along with her fantastic new single titled Poor Boy. We've got our regular news segment along with Mike talking about clean trucks in something to talk about later in the show. All that, plus even more great music from last week's guests, McAllister Kemp. As they say, the show must go on, so... Let's get this show on the road! Yes, get on with it! G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. (laughs) This is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. As I've said any number of times, I'm more than willing to talk to anyone about anything and have a dig into any subject. And I particularly like it when the listeners send me messages about things that they're interested in and I can get older people to try and answer the questions and at least explore some of the issues. I got hold of a bloke named Chris Rowe. Now, he's a third-generation trucking business. His father was involved, he's involved himself, and now his young bloke's involved. We got to ask a question about rates and the way they affect owner-drivers and affect safety. We'll dig into RSRT Mark II potentially a little bit, have a bit of a chat about that and what that might mean for small business owner drivers and get it from the horse's mouth because I'm a little bit out of date with this. I sold my trucks a long time ago and now I drive. So I'm not quite so aware of what we get paid to do things anymore. I certainly do know how much it costs though, the bloody price of fuel and insurances and the operating costs. We'll have a bit of a talk about the idea of a US DOT system for Australia as well. This is the conversation I recorded with Chris, and I hope you find it enlightening, illuminating, and an example of how you can contribute to the show yourself and get your point of view across. Here's Chris Rowe. Today I've got Chris Rowe with me, owner, driver, small business owner. He's been playing the game for, I think, third generation now. Young bloke's having a go, isn't he, Chris? That's dead right, Mike. Yeah, yeah, we're a third generation now. Your dad had over a thousand days in New Guinea during the Second World War in the Australian Transport Corps. Oh, righto. Come home and start his own business. Right. Late 60s, early 70s, I'd often come home from school and find dad in the local lockup in a small country town <laughs> because he hadn't been able to pay his road tax. Yeah. When Razorback happened, I got a little bit involved at a local level with that. Yep. And the rest is history. So how old were you when Razorback happened? 24. Oh, righto. So you'd have been there into it? I wasn't at Razorback, but yeah. as the blockade spread, mm. there was one at the border at Togamore. who was a resident of Jerulri at the time. Yeah. Yeah, went down to Togamore and we had a blockade down there at the river and yeah. I was certainly involved in it at that level, you know? Yeah, well, I don't know, you're probably not aware, but I worked with Barry Grimson, who was one of the guys that kicked that off. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I didn't know you worked with him. Don't know Barry. Oh, no, I'm Barry. He's a great bloke. He's still kicking around too, you know? Yeah, I've actually heard him on a different podcast. It was good to listen to, yeah. On the Copy Southbound podcast, you can say it, mate. I'm not like summoning the devil. (laughs) Just don't say it three times, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Barry's a great bloke. He's been on and he's uh, still kicking about. He's just had a shoulder repair done and he'll be back behind the wheel again shortly. Pilot's one of the beautiful fleet trucks that we've got at UTH. So, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that's where he was. All good, mate. Now, we've got a lot of ground to cover. 
my conversation with you is as a result of one of our listeners getting hold of me and saying, hey, I heard someone was running for a dollar twenty a kilometre. And I said, mate, that can't be right. We both know that there are some issues out there with blokes that don't know how much it costs to run their trucks. And you're a lot more current than me, mate. I sold my last truck in 2007, so I was cured early. You're still not cured, mate. So we've got to find out what's going on. It's interesting that we try and come up with a sense for kilometre cost on it. Mm. At the moment, it's absolutely such a changing world. Mm. Cost of fuel went up last week, I think, six or seven cents a litre. Yeah. So we're quoting things now. In a month, might be quite irrelevant, Mike. Yeah. Like, that's how volatile the whole situation is at the moment, you know. And I can see where some blokes are going to get caught working for major companies who give them no input whatsoever into the price that they might get. Yeah. And they do. They get trapped into this bloody silly world of where they can't progress their point sort of thing, you know. Yeah, well, I know that when I had mine, I used to do a bit for the majors just to keep the cash flow going. And I'm sure that they're still the same. I carted a lot of timber for K&S out of Mount Gambier all over the place. They used to pay me on the 21st of every month and you knew the money was going to be in the bank. Scots were like 14 days. The money was always there, but they tell you what, the margins were pretty thin even back then. The margins have always been thin with the majors. And where people get, in the time I've been in the game, get caught out with it is that Sometimes you can finish up working for the majors without actually wanting to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been involved in a couple of contracts where we did a lot of work and had a glorious golden run there for probably 10 or 12 years working for a company that you would have known, Turner's Transport. Yep, yep. Donnie Turner was legendary for the way he looked after subbies and we had a golden period working for Turner's and good luck to Don. He got an offer he couldn't resist and sold out. Yep. Full credit to him for what he did in the time he was in the industry, but after he sold out, even the company that he sold out to, they were good to work for for a little while. But all of a sudden, the contracts then started to go to market mm. and some of the bigger major players moved into them. And all of a sudden, you'd bought trucks and made commitments for four or five years and then found out that the work that you'd had was being overtaken by a major company who were saying to you, look, we still need you, yeah. but you're going to carry the cut costs that we've made to win this job, you know? Yeah. Then you're stuck with a problem, you know? And I've seen other blokes stuck with the same problem, and I've been there and been stuck with it. Yeah. That you've got to decide then, you know, do we keep battling on trying to find something else and trying to work our way through this? Or like you said, the fact that the money will be in the bank on the 21st is a bit of a lure. Well, not a lure, but it prevents you from opening your eyes up enough to try and find other things sometimes, you know? Yeah. You get too focused on survival mode mm. rather than anything else. Well, any business cash flow is king. I mean, we both know that. Yeah. You've got to pay your fuel bill, got to pay your tyre bill, the insurance comes around, the rego comes around, and if you don't have the money in the bank, you're stopped dead. Exactly. That's it. So you've got to keep the cash flow going. There are situations I know where people take jobs from the majors to get somewhere to get some of their own freight back. I used to do that quite a bit. We certainly all do that. I'd be not afraid to say we still do that nowadays. But we've found lately that we're getting success by being involved with other small operators, sometimes even owner-drivers, who have managed to sell themselves far better than what the majors do. Yeah. The majors seem to only want to sell on price and not on quality. Yes, yeah. That's their focus all the time. In my early working days, I worked at TNT at Coward Street and Mascot when I first left school. Mm. That was in the days when salesmen were just coming into the freight industry, you know, and the salesmen got their job in the freight industry because they were a good shoe salesman or a good vacuum cleaner salesman or something, you know, yeah. and had little idea of what they were selling when they were selling freight. And I don't know that we've improved all that much up until the present time, Mike, you know. Mate, I don't think that we have. And this is the problem. We've got guys out there now who don't understand how much it's costing them to run. And I, I focused on it and learnt very early that if I was turning the wheels for nothing or next to nothing, I was better off just to sit there until I got something better. Some blokes have got the idea that if the wheels are turning, they're making a quid, and they're just not. No, they're not. I've done a few little back-of-the-envelope bloody uh, numbers here just this morning before we started to talk. Mm. Your fuel now is probably around 90 cents a kilometre. You're looking at for fuel? Yep. Wages is about 64 cents a K now. People will say to me, holy hell, who's paying 64 cents to a driver? Well, no, you're not. But when you take in 10% super, 10% workers' comp, all the hidden little extras, it works out to there. Yep. Believe it or not, your truck cost is probably one of the cheaper things nowadays, yeah, right? Yeah. Even down to main operators and small operators tend to ignore things like I've sort of try and put an admin cost in there, you know? Yeah. Jenny sits here doing the paperwork. If I had to pay somebody to do it, and she ought to be paid to do it. So uh, so there's the cost there, you know? Yeah. Well, there's also the tyres, the maintenance. Oh, exactly. All those sort of things that go on and on and on. 
tyres will cost you eight cents. Your insurance and rego will cost you about fourteen cents a k. Yeah. Uh, maintenance about eight cents a k, so it doesn't take long to button up a figure of about two dollars thirty four a k. Yeah, and you know what we're missing, Mike? You know the figure that's missing out of that? Go on, tell me. Profit. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> profit. <laughs> you know, we look at our costs, and nobody ever thinks about profit. All these mid-sized companies that are being sold in the recent history, like we're looking at the likes of Maranoa and Burks, and all the ones that we've seen, Ritchie Brothers have been doing a bloody roaring trade in good quality prime movers lately. I reckon they're being sold because of what you've exactly just said. It's costing them that much money to run their trucks. No one wants to buy the business because there's no margin, but it's a huge capital expenditure to kick it off. Exactly. That's the sad part, that nobody's actually buying these businesses. Mm. For a serious investor, there's not the margin there to warrant buying the business. Mm. So they're probably lucky at the moment that, as we all know, there is a good market on used vehicles because the new vehicle supplies are, I think they're out to about 12 months now to get at Kenworth. Mm. That's obviously putting a premium on those used vehicles. Yep. If it wasn't for that, you'd wonder what might happen in those instances, you know? Yeah. I think they just get tired of the whole gamut of what's going on with the industry trying to find drivers. Yeah. When we've neglected the train and bring through drivers, all these issues all come to the fore. So you can't blame blacks of the age of Graham Burke and those sort of people deciding that really it's time to put the feet up. <laughs> They've done the hard yards, you know. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I mentioned on the show there the other week that if you looked at the likes of, say, CJ Dean out of Tumut, where they were going, and Carkeet and all those, they were bought out and their contracts were taken over by major players and their drivers ended up with somewhere to go and all the equipment and everything was all absorbed into the industry. But I don't know what's actually happening at Burks or at Maranoa or anywhere else for that matter. But just looking on the outside, I'm seeing these fleets ending up in the auction. And as you say, unless you bought a legend SAA, you're not getting a Kenworth anytime soon. No. <laughs> what, they sell 700 or something, didn't they? It was some stupid number. I can't remember. Yeah, I've heard all sorts of silly things happening at the moment, and even in trailers. I believe that if you have a commitment in a build line for a trailer that you don't want, you can actually sell your spot uh. on the build line, I believe, at the moment. That's how silly it's got trying to source equipment. Well, I mean, you've only got to look at the price of a second-hand set of trailers. I saw an old set of bloody Audrey Mez double drop-deck floor trailers there for 160 the other day for a set, and they're like 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just mental. Yep. Do you think that it's worthwhile having something in Australia like the US DOT system? Now, the ATA have come out and had a big cry about this and said that we don't really want to do it. Maybe people should know what goes into running a truck business before they're allowed to actually put a truck on the highway. What do you reckon? Some sort of business training, you mean, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have a range of accreditation schemes now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't involve you in looking at what it actually takes to run your business in the background. So perhaps some sort of an all-encompassing... That certainly is a thing that would be an advantage and hopefully it would level the field out a little bit mm. less than the likes of people to make silly decisions when they're quoting. Mm. But also another thing, I've adopted this from an old mate of mine, Bobby McMillan, who you had on there a while back. Mm. Bob's often been on about how we need to straighten up the finance industry too. Yeah, indeed, yep. The fact that people can finance vehicles on second-party bloody guarantors and all this sort of stuff, Mike, I saw it years ago when I sold my old LTL and bought the first Mac we ever had. The buyer of the LTL, I run into it a little while later and it had chrome naked ladies and stars and everything all over it, but the bloke hadn't been able to get around to get it serviced because he just wouldn't make quite enough money to get it serviced. Yeah, yeah. Twelve months later, it was in a repay yard. He had trouble getting the finance, but his mother had put a house up, so... You can only imagine that mum was probably living in a tent at that stage, you know. Mm. This is the sort of thing that we could straighten up those sort of areas and make it a bit harder for people to get finance that have effects on probably some good operators as well, but it might long-term provide a benefit, you know. Yeah. I've just long thought that without putting too fine a point on it, you can see accreditation ticks on the back of trailers. Yeah. And I've only got to walk down the side of the trailer and have a look at the tyres and... <laughs> yeah, and that's the same. If somebody's got the training, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to implement it, Mike, in a business sense, you know. Mm. They can still easily get trapped into the race to the bottom on pricing and that sort of thing, you know. Yeah. And I've seen it happen and know how it can happen. And you used to get caught in the jaws of fate beyond your control sometimes. I remember once I went and put a load of coke on over in Adelaide because I was desperate for a backload and got around to pick up the SPA for it and the price they put on it was $200 less than they told me over the phone. Yeah. And we had a conversation about that, fairly robust conversation too, let me tell you. The short story was I told their forklift driver to take it off and put it on the ground, otherwise I'd do a quick U-turns in the yard. 
And it came off, and then I had a mate of mine ring me up half an hour later. So oh, I got no doubt of Adelaide, mate. I said, "What have you got?" And he said, "Oh, a load of coke." I said, oh, right, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and we had a bit of a laugh. The thing that annoyed me about that was I knew that that guy was a smart operator. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't smart that day. Yeah, that's right. That whole thing just seals the deal, and you know what it's like as well as I do. Backload rates. I mean, nothing goes backwards, mate. Nothing. <laughs> As long as I've been in the industry and all through my dad's time in the industry, I'm sure that the same things happened and, yeah, exactly right. There's no backload, but we all know the reality of it all, don't we? Yeah, we do, we do, and this is the problem. So RSRT, let's go into the unhallowed ground of the RSRT. Yes. You're obviously playing when that first came around, and I was one of the ones that ripped it to shreds and tore it apart and was quite happy to see it kick to the curb. Mm -hmm. The reality of it is is that I've probably changed my position a little bit since then. Well, it's funny you should say that because at the time, I wasn't one of the ones that were involved in destroying it and kicking it to the curb. Mm. I know it had problems and it wasn't right. Yeah. Things in it needed to be fixed. I'll accept that. Yeah. I know some of the people that were involved in it. One of them I know very, very well. Mm. And those four blokes, some of the stuff that was heaped on them was just incredible. They set out at least trying to do the right thing, you know, like yep. you hear all this stuff about how they set out to destroy the industry. I don't believe that for a minute. No. They set out to do what they thought was the best thing to do at the time, you know, yep. and trying to cure the whole ills of the industry in one go is pretty bloody difficult. Yeah. So I was always of the opinion that the tribunal itself wasn't such a bad thing, that some of the areas that had gone into wasn't that good. Mm. But I always thought we needed to preserve the tribunal itself now. At the time, I had a major fallout with one of the major proponents of it all, Gordon McKinlay from um, Holbrook and I were absolute loggerheads. Yeah. Gordon could be fairly volatile at stages, and him and my young fellow were pretty good mates. Yeah. They had some fairly severe words. Yeah. And it's interesting that I'd been a member of, mind you, of NAFRA and that road and all those sort of things, and they've always been for many, many years. Yeah. But when I heard that Glenn Stoll was going to be at the 2018 NAFRA AGM at Rockhampton, I made the effort to fly up there and go to it. Yep. Because I was pretty keen on what Glenn Stoll was saying at the time. Yep. And Gordon, to his credit, sort of challenged me a little bit. He said, well, yeah, I bet you go on the board and so we finished up there. And it's interesting now that I think Gordon, in the same light as you, now might have a bit of a different perspective as volatile as he was against the whole thing at the time. Mm. He now has a bit of a different perspective, and I shouldn't be putting words in his mouth, yeah. and I'm not trying to. But I know he does have a bit of a different approach now to the major companies to what he might have had back then. Yeah, well, I was pretty volatile on it. and There's plenty of buddy video and audio of me saying all sorts of stuff. I'm not reversing my position, but I'm certainly modifying it. Yeah, look, at the time that it was all happening, a very good mate of mine, and I do consider him a good mate, Ken Wilkie, mm. was deeply involved with NAPA and with putting an end to it and being in Canberra and all that sort of stuff. Yep. And Ken and I have always had a profound respect for one another, I believe, and, and have always managed to have our differing points of view. Mm without being so volatile about it, if that makes any sense. You know, we're always able to respect each other's opinions. And even of late, I think Ken's starting to understand the position. He doesn't for a minute agree that they did anything wrong, and I'm not expecting him to by destroying the original RSRT. Mm. But he does have a different perspective to what he might have had in 2016, Mike. Yeah, well, I'm planning to get older, Ken, so we can have a chat. I've had him on the show before, and I'll be getting older of him to have a chat about it. But hold on for a second. We'll have a quick word from our sponsors. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Back with Chris Rowe. 
Mate, we've got a federal election coming up shortly. Exactly. And you and I have both put submissions into Glenn Stills' inquiry and a lot of other people put submissions into as well. A lot of good stuff. And I've spoken to Glenn multiple times. and I've had him on the show multiple times to talk about different things. And I had him on several weeks ago to talk about his inquiry. And he did say to me, because I asked him the fantasy question, what happens if you guys get in next time? And I asked him about RSRT Mark II. And as he said, it won't happen in the first term probably, but it will happen. They will do it if they get the opportunity. So RSRT Mark II, mate, what do you think? Well, I think you've got to go to the committee and have a look at their list of recommendations. Now, to focus it totally on the RSRT doesn't give enough credit to what that committee did, you know? Yeah. Just a few figures that I had used the other day. There was 128 written submissions to that inquiry. Yep. And from all levels, everybody had the opportunity to contribute. Yes. It was from the lowest driver to the head bloody CEO of any of the majors, you know. Mm. All your transport representative groups all had an equal opportunity to submit. There was 157 people appeared before the committee in 11 different places around Australia, all the while during a COVID bloody drama that was going on. Glenn kept pushing and pushing and pushing that all the way through. Every time there was a drama with COVID, the industry went running to Glenn. I think Glenn must have thought he was the bloody industry janitor at one stage. Oh, that's right. Every time there was a bloody dirty shower or a blocked toilet, they wanted him to fix it, you know? But if you go to the list of recommendations from the inquiry, Certainly the first recommendation is for a government that empowers an independent body that will, in consultation with industry, set universal and binding standards. So there's your RSRT. The committee recommends you go to number two, recommendation number two, ensure that all workers, whether owner-drivers, employed drivers, are paid for all work time, including driving and non-driving time, that at any costs or efficiency dividends associated with this charge are allocated fairly throughout the supply chain. So... Here's the thing that I think hardly anyone in the industry apart from that road were opposed to, and that's paid waiting time, you know, demurrage time. Yeah, that's right. And if you go through the whole list of them, there's parts in there about rest areas and all the different things that Rod Hanover, you know, have been chasing. There are 10 things there, so it's not just the old RSRT thing. And I'm sure that Glenn Stirl and the people who might be involved in any setting up of anybody will have seen the folly of trying to fix and price everything in the industry in one go. You can't do it. Yeah, no, that's right. It's such a moving feast. But that doesn't mean that at some stage we shouldn't try and fix the things that can be fixed, Mike. And having the majors just lump you with negative fuel levies and all this sort of garbage that's going on, and they get away with it with impunity, Mike. Nobody even challenges it. Yeah, I know, I understand. Just going back in history, just on issues with charges, there was one large company that I used to cart freight for quite regularly who used to charge an insurance fee. Yep. And you didn't get a choice about whether you paid on it. I think I had $20 million worth of public liability at that stage. <laughs> I had wreck recovery and cleanup. So I was well insured. I didn't need to pay for their damn insurance. And they charged that regardless. And of course, then we remember there was a little bit of a fallout over that because they weren't insurance agents and they weren't actually allowed to charge it. That's right. And then they started charging a service fee instead. Exactly. Yep. And we got to pay that. Uh, the service that they wanted to charge you before was actually paying you. <laughs> well, I had a big argument with one of the managers about that. And he said, oh, we charge you a service fee just so that you use our facilities. You might want to have a shower and all that sort of stuff. I never, ever, ever used any of their facilities ever. <laughs> you know? I'll give you a little thing that often comes up when we talk about rates and people and who should be responsible for what and all the rest of it, Mike. Yeah. You'll often get people say, well, I'll have a people are prepared to card for that. You know, well, what else can you expect? Yeah. And that's a reasonable argument, except for one other thing. The majors should be required under chain of responsibility to take more responsibility for the pricing and things than they, than they currently do. Yeah. Now, the analogy that I often use is if you and me were in the pub tonight and the bloke tapped us on the shoulder and says, listen, mate, out in the back of my ute, I've got a big screen colour TV and you can have it for 100 bucks. <laughs> All right? You and I, being fellas that have been about a bit, might be a bit doubtful, you'd say to him, mate, is that hot? <laughs> and he's going to say to you, no, no, nah, nah, mate, it's not hot. <laughs> so you say, okay, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. Yeah. I'll get you to sign a bit of paper saying that it's not hot. Right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, fine, I'll sign a bit of paper for you saying it's not hot. 
So next morning when the copper comes around knocking on our door and says, you've got a colour TV in there, mate. You're on charges for receiving stolen goods. You say, oh, it's not stolen, mate. I've got a bit of paper here I signed, you know. Now, here's the same thing with your majors. The majors know that the prices that they're offering and paying to people, mm. somebody's got to cut a corner like Bayer to be able to achieve it at, at that rate, Mike. Yeah, no, 100%. Now, they'll have you sign bits of paper left, right and centre yeah. that will cover their ass all the way through and leave you high and dry, yeah. but it shouldn't be allowed to happen. You know, under China responsibility, they should bear the responsibility for the sort of things that sometimes go on, you know? Yeah, well, look, mate. That just this last couple of years have shown that these guys are willing to do anything to make the rules up to suit themselves. Yeah, yeah. I remember going to a depot in Sydney to pick my trailers up to go to Perth, and you weren't allowed to go on in the warehouse part there to see where they were loading your trailers because we didn't load them ourselves. Yep. They came out and arrived in the hookup area, strapped up, done up with seals on them. And then I had to go inside and sign a safe to travel document <laughs> yeah, yeah. without ever actually having a chance to see if it was, in fact, safe to travel. Safe to travel, exactly. And so, you know, I got to the checking station at Yamba there one day and I rolled onto the pad because the pad was open and they weighed it. And, of course, it's all good. We're very meticulous about our weights. And he said, just go over there, mate. Yep, yep. He said, you've got mixed DG signs on. He said, just go over there and park over there. We've got to crack these trailers and have a look. And when I opened the trailers up, my heart sank. <laughs> I looked at it and I thought, oh, my God, this is going to hurt. Yep. And to their credit, they said, did you load this trailer? I said, no, mate, I didn't. I hooked it up. It had seals on it. You've taken the seals off. They got the manifest and they had a bit of a look at it. And they said, I'll tell you what, we're going to go over and have a look at some other trucks. How about you secure this load properly? Yeah, right. And so I spent an hour securing a load. And they came back and they looked at it. They said, much better. And we're deeply gratified to see that things aren't mixed up. There's boards in place. Clothes are all up and they signed that they'd sealed it. The shit really hit the fan over that because I jumped up and down quite severely. Yep. But I'll tell you what, if there'd been any other fellas looking at it other than the ones that did, that would have been very expensive for me. And that's wrong. Yeah. And that's an example of how they've made it up to suit themselves. Yeah, well, any of these trip plans and all that sort of stuff are just so convolutedly made up to be a, an ass-covering exercise. Indeed. And to palm all of the bloody responsibility onto the subby or the subby's driver or whatever and leave them high and dry. Yeah, yeah. As I say, these are the same sort of companies that are likely to impose negative fuel levy on you or a service fee for paying any. Now, the last question that I really wanted to get to you said that you've done a few figures there, how much it costs per K to run a truck, and that's what sort of sparked this conversation in the first place. We can sit here forever and we can talk about things that we've seen happen, so we know the reality isn't quite as good as the fantasy. We know that there's a certain amount of blokes that are going to get killed and injured there every year. We know, and you pointed out, that someone didn't have the money to pay for the maintenance on their truck, but they had enough money for the naked ladies. There's always going to be that element, but we can't deny that safer rates, and I hate to use the term because it's a TWU term, but better money per load does, to a certain extent, relate to the level of quality of the maintenance. Is that something you agree with or is it something you disagree with? What are your thoughts on that? Can I try and carefully give you an example that shows exactly all what you're asking there, Mike? Yeah. When we worked on a steel job out of Melbourne a couple of years ago at a steel facility on the north side of Melbourne, I'll try and be as vague as I can, but... <laughs> Good luck with that. A steel facility on the north side of Melbourne, which is now closed down. Yeah. It was one of the major steel manufacturers in the country that still goes. Yeah. But just that particular plant at Melbourne's closed down now. When, as I said, we originally worked for Donnie Turner, when Turner's had the contract, non sold out, and another company bought him out, and they kept the contract, and we were quite happy to work for them. They were good to work for as well. Mm. And then eventually the contract went to market, and one of the major players in the steel cartridge industry won the contract. Yep. Some of us that were there, as I said, we were then handballed the price cut. Yep. Said, look, we still need you, but you know, here's the price cut, which basically amounted to what the price they'd cut it to to get, we were paying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were faced with the problem, and so some of us with commitments on trucks had to bat on and do the best we could and work out where we were going to go. In the immediate term, we had to bat on. Mm. The fellow that had run Adelaide over Donnie Turner during the whole period, probably three times a week, said no. Yep. You know, like, no. Nah. 
not prepared to do it for that, I'll go and find something else. Thanks very much. Yep. So from that time on, the major company struggled to get trucks to run to Adelaide yep. and struggled big time. And they're actually, because of the way the contracts are written, they get penalties for not complying and they don't meet their KBIs and you know, all the buzz stuff that we've all heard a million times. You know? yep. Yep. So there was a particular day where they were a day or two late on a load where they managed to find a subby. The subby came in the load. And I was pretty good mates with one of the fellas that was in the office there who'd previously been a truck driver until he had a bit of an injury. He said to me the next day when I was there, he said, you've got no idea what's going on here. He said, we're in big, big trouble. He said, this fella turned up the load yesterday and was obviously completely inexperienced doing what he was doing. Yeah. Didn't have the right gear or equipment to do it. They had to bring extra straps to him and, you know, show him how to do it and all that sort of stuff. So because of holdups and everything, he wasn't real early getting out, going to Adelaide. He's taken off to Adelaide and on the way into Adelaide, had a major accident at the bottom of the Adelaide Hill. If you go back through it all, you'd be aware that it happened, I think it was about 2011. Another truck driver, I think it was, was killed who was broken down at the bus stop at the bottom of the hill there in Adelaide, you know, going into the first set of lights there. I forget the road. Glen Osmond Road, wouldn't it? Yeah, Glen Osmond, yeah. Yeah. So he's actually hit that and the fellow driving the truck was killed. I think there was another motorist there that was injured. Yeah. And the end result was that that poor bugger driving the truck, mm. finished up doing a fairly long stint in jail and may still be in jail, I'm not sure. Yeah. But he wore the consequences of it entirely. Now, it turned out that he'd been a chip truck driver around country Victoria and this was his first interstate driving job. He was driving for a subby who'd taken the load that somebody else wouldn't take. The short and long of it is, Mike, that had they have been prepared to pay the experienced operator who was doing the job successfully for years and years that probably would never have happened. Yep. It was simply the price cutting that caused that particular accident. I've got no fear in saying that that's what caused that accident. Yep. The consequences of it is what caused it. So there's the answer to that, Mike. You can't deny that there is a link at times between safety and what people get paid. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, doesn't it, really? Yeah, it does. Mate, I'll tell you what, it's been a great pleasure to have you on and have a chat about things and catch up. I'll see you down the track, I suppose. We'll catch up out there. I'll keep an eye out for you. All right, mate. It's been yeah, interesting. <laughs> I've often thought, ah, a bit of opportunity ever come up, but I don't think anybody needs to hear from me, but sometimes you get a bit wound up and there you go, you know. No, look, it's all good, mate. And obviously, you're out there playing. You're out there batting every day and running your business. And I suppose it comes down to if it's still worth doing and, and you're still doing it. So it's got to still be worth doing. Well, from a personal point of view, I am right in the middle of it all. I just thought the way that people like me dad was treated was horribly unjust. Yep. What happened to the likes of them? I would like to think that when the young bloke in the next few years, he might have a better world to work in than what we might have had. Yep. Just another thing that I often reflect on is a friend of mine who had a long involvement in, a bit younger than me, but he's been involved in the transport industry for years. His father worked with Turners when I worked there, and he actually said to me one day, he said, you know, part of the problem of the industry is, he said, you old legends of the 70s and 80s. Yeah. He said, we were always prepared to work too hard, but not enough. That's right, yep. And he said, you're actually part of the problem, you know, and I've suggested that to Bob McMillan once or twice, and he's erupted at <laughs> I said the same thing to him, and probably got the same response. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, in all honesty, I'll accept that as a criticism. Yeah. I honestly do believe that we were our own worst enemies. Mm. And, you know, and even to this day, probably struggle to put a true value on our work. Yeah, yeah. One of those things that's got to change. Mm. All right, Chris, thanks for coming on, mate. We'll see you on the road. Good on you, Mike. Good to catch up with you. New Zealand-born singer-songwriter Jamie McDell started her music career as a seven-year-old, writing sea shanties to the dolphins that cruised alongside her parents' yacht in the Mediterranean. Her early music education came from listening to her folks Jimmy Buffett, John Denver and James Taylor cassettes, learning harmonies from her parents as she watched them singing together, then picking up and learning to play the guitar. Signed to EMI Records at the tender age of 16, Her debut album titled Six Strings and a Sailboat achieved gold record status, and she went on to multiple award nominations and wins. Jamie has received much critical acclaim, even being likened to a modern-day Stevie Nicks. She's an amazing talent, and she's here with us today. G'day, Jamie. Thanks for joining us on the road. Hey, Andy. Thank you so much for calling. Now, bear with me, if you will. It's not often I get to ask the question, 
So what was it like growing up on a yacht in the Mediterranean? But here we are. So how was it? Very good question. Well, as you can probably assume, it was very adventurous. My sister and I had quite a large imagination, so I think it kind of fueled that even further. Mm. Very relaxed. My parents were happy all the time. They were drinking cocktails. We were really good at swimming, not so good at math. <laughs> it was a dream. <laughs> I can only imagine that it would have been, and you didn't end up at each other's throats, you and your sister being in that close contact for so long? Funny enough, at that age, no. I was age seven and my sister was five, so she was probably still in that era of following me around, so we had no real conflict. Yeah. And your first songs were actually written on that yacht, something about the dolphins. Yeah. I really, like you said, my imagination was very strong and I used to truly think that I could communicate with the dolphins. Yeah. Of course, we'd possibly see them around three times a day. It was really incredible. But, yeah, I figured that I could write songs and that they would sort of hear them. They weren't great. I don't remember all of them. (laughs) (laughs) But that definitely sparked my interest in making up songs for sure. Jamie, your new self-titled album is set for release next month and you've just released the single Poor Boy from the album. What's the story behind the song? Well, that really ties in, I suppose, to my upbringing on the sea. Mm. When my dad was young, he was a really avid sailor. Sorry, so Poor Boy is inspired by my dad. He grew up sailing himself. However, it was that kind of era when you weren't able to make money out of it or look to make anything out of being a professional athlete. So Mm. he ended up giving up a few of those dreams and becoming a lawyer. Okay. He got sick of that by the time me and my sister were born and bought the boat in the med and sort of surprised my mum and moved us overseas. Mm. That was, like I said, incredible, but unfortunately... That began a series of kind of financial struggles. Sure. A bit of bad luck in there, but that kind of ended up being quite a tricky situation for my mum and dad. Yeah. And that's something I think they felt a little bit of guilt. Speaking mm. on behalf of my sibling, Tess and I, we just don't see that at all. We see all the wonderful adventures we got to have and how supportive and amazing our parents have been despite all of those struggles. Yeah, for sure. I think the kind of sentiment is family and passion first, and we're so grateful for that, and we really think we have everything, despite possibly not having those kind of material things. Yeah. For this song, you've teamed up with Tom Busby from Busby Maru, and how well your voices work together on that. Oh, I really love Tom and his voice. I was so lucky to do a little bit of touring with Busby Maru in Australia. Mm. And actually on that tour, I'd get up and sing a song with the boys each night. So I think we kind of figured that there was quite a nice harmony between our voices then. Yeah. And then, yeah, when I wrote this song, I don't know why, you just kind of picture someone in mind that could do a harmony and Tom came to me and so got in touch with him and he's, he's so kind. He just jumped on it right away. Yeah, and I'm really thrilled to have his voice on there. Yeah. The last couple of years have been pretty tough for all of us. Mm-hmm. With what's going on, COVID permitting, what plans do you have for this year? I suppose how I kind of feel this has affected me is that I can't really plan too much. Mm. In general in life, I try not to have too many expectations. I set goals, yep. but you know, I can kind of recognise that this industry is flexible at the best of times. Yeah. Kind of just goes slow in that regard. I think for musicians, it's been definitely difficult from the entertainment element and trying to find other ways to keep the money rolling in. Yeah. But I've felt that I've just had a really lucky experience and that I've been around friends and my partner this entire time and able to kind of just snuffle down and keep writing and focusing on where this all starts for me, and that does come from songwriting. Yeah. So it's really just been a shift of focus, and I imagine... That's probably what this year will bring, is just a lot more writing, trying to kind of record some of the things that I think are worth recording yeah, and putting a little bit more energy into that side of things. Really working the creative side, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, that's actually my favourite part of it. Mm. I love playing live and I really miss it. But for me, when I get to be focused on writing and recording and creating the tracks, that's really where I get excited. Yeah. Now, you've got a great back catalogue of wonderful material, Jamie. Where can people go to hear more and find out more about you as well? Oh, thank you so much. 
it does feel like I have been doing this for a little while now. Mm. I'm on all the streaming platforms you can imagine. Uh, Apple, Spotify, I'm sure all my catalogue is there. And I've actually spent quite a lot of my years on YouTube too. Right. So if you want to kind of experience me 10 years ago, you can absolutely do that. <laughs> Fantastic. It's been my pleasure to chat with the delightful Jamie McDell. Jamie, thank you for coming out to play on the road with us today. Oh, thank you so much for speaking with me. Before you leave us, would you please introduce your new song for us? Sure thing. I'm Jamie, and this is a song inspired by my dad called Poor Boy. Cheers, Jamie. Take care and stay safe. Thank you so much. You too. Sharpest of the knives. I fooled around with the richest of the wise. I broke some records running circles on a track. I broke my nose, then my brother broke it right back. So to get no time to be a poor Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcasts every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together. 
When they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better. We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. G'day, it's James Johnston here, and you're listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy. Just a quick word about our sponsors. Go to our webpage, www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au, and you can see who the friends of the show are. And if their products are something that you're interested in or something that you may need, please support them because they support us and they bring our show to you. All the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. Hey, Mike, you've been having a bit of a day of it, mate. Mate, it's very sweaty down here in Sydney today. The player comfort level is not real good. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to get my air conditioning fixed. Why is it your air conditioning always has a fit on the day when you most need it? Why is that? Is it a Murphy law, is it? Well, the same way your heater stops working when it gets cold. Tell you what, mate, it's... You wouldn't want to be anywhere near me. If you were a short person standing beside me today, you wouldn't be happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that. Happy for the distance. <laughs> Is that a visual point? you enjoy that? Oh, yeah, it's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Mate, just filling you in on what's happening during the week. Right. Fumbling around under the bed the other day trying to find a missing sock yeah. when I found this old shoebox. Right. Open it up, see what was inside, found a scarf and almost 50 grand in cash. Really? Confronted the bride about it, mm. and she said, my mother told me on the day we got married that every time I found you annoying, I should just go and knit something. <laughs> yep. That being the case, I was actually quite impressed that there was only one scarf in the box. Then yeah. I asked her where all the money came from. She said, that's from all the scarves I've sold. <laughs> Moving on. Sad piece first up with the news of the passing of Steve Latimer, a much-loved towie from up Rockhampton Way. Yeah, mate, he's been around for a while and, and he's been involved in a few things. Mm. And I think he, him and I even crossed paths at one stage. He just sort of seems familiar to me. But what can you say? His work was his life and he'd become a counsellor and, and a lifelong friend of so many drivers and companies over the years. This is why I sort of think I have crossed paths with him at some time. He was into everything, you know. Mm. He's a genuine bloke, and it's just a loss. And I feel sorry for those around him who have lost him, you know. Mm. It's always a tragedy, and just sometimes, once again, this industry just takes too much, mate. Yeah. Yeah. And, mate, we touched on it last week, but the first road-ready prime mover from Janus Electric was spotted on the New South Wales Central Coast this week. Yeah, mate, a day cab Coronado, and i tell you what, you're a little bit different looking. I'm not sure that you'd pick it as being different if it was coming towards you. Probably when you got beside you, you'd look at it and go, gee, those fuel tanks don't look quite right. Well, you wouldn't hear it coming towards you, that's for sure. No, you wouldn't hear it. I'm still trying to convince Lex that we need to get an E9 soundtrack to announce its presence. Hmm. How's that going for you? Oh, no, no, not well. Not well. <laughs> okay. He's fairly convinced that he's got it covered and it's his truck, so let's let him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm still trying to get a chance to have a driver one, but I'm looking forward to it. It is going to happen. Mm. I think that they've got to tag this thing with this repair and these older trucks. Mm. I think it's going to be something that will take off. It's a unique idea, and it's one of those things that I find really impressive that you can still have the classic lines of the trucks we know and love mm. and go to that other environment to make everyone else happy. And these things are still doing five to 600 kilometres range with a single trailer, four to 500 kilometres range with a B-double. Mm. And they're going to be, by the time you sort them out, a comparable running cost and a lot less moving parts, like we said when we did the interview. Yeah. 
you know, no radiators, no alternators, no turbos, no all those OEM parts that let you down on the side of the road, you know, exhaust manifold gaskets and all that sort of stuff. Mm. All the thing of the past mm. that looks nice. Yeah. So I'm very, very excited to see it. I'm very excited to have a drive, so I'll get a chance soon. Hopefully so. Well done, Lex. The ATA has identified critical gaps in the federal government's infrastructure investment pipeline Mm. and in a pre-budget submission has said that a fix needed to be found for the underfunded road freight network and more investment was needed in rest areas. The ATA have come out and made a few key recommendations and put in a bit of a pre-budget submission where they've identified some critical gaps in the Morrison government's 10-year $110 billion infrastructure investment plan and pipeline. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about the charges and all that sort of stuff. Now, look, without putting too fine a point on it, the ATA are pushing the barrow of their members. That's what they do. Yep. There's no other way. You can't sugarcoat it. That's what the ATA does. Sure. They're out there touting for funding programs that they need. I don't disagree with a lot of what they say. They're right a lot of the time. Mm. They're saying that the existing funding programs for rest areas are woefully insufficient. You will not get an argument out of me or anyone that tries to use these things. Mm. The rest areas are woefully insufficient. They're poorly bloody designed. The amenities are non-existent. I mean, you've only got to look at the fight with the gat and pads. Yep. And it's like that right across the country. The ATA say they believe a minimum of 20% of the proposed $5 billion truck roads and rest area program should be reserved for rest area projects. Mm. But I reckon you could spend $50 million and you wouldn't see where it went. Wouldn't touch the surface. Wouldn't even touch the sides, you know. Mm. The worst part about it all is they don't bother to consult with the people that use the things. Mm. And they don't provide the level of stuff that we need. To be fair, you can't be all things to all people. I know that. And it's better to have somewhere to pull up. But there are things like the Green Reflector Program, which Rod Hanafy's had to fight tooth and nail for over years, Mm. that cost pennies on the dollar compared to these other projects, and yet they're completely ignored. Mm. I find it very, very hard to sometimes swallow what's going on. And they're recommending the government introduce a net zero truck incentive plan so that the industry can make the move to electric and hydrogen powered trucks. Mm. I would say to that, in response to just that piece alone, the government doesn't need to make any incentives to do it. The people that make these things need to make them cost-efficient and competitive enough so that people will buy them. It's not up to the government to sell trucks. Mm. It's up to the people that build the bastards. That's it. They've got to make them good enough so people want to buy them and drive them. Anyway, you can go to bigrigs.com.au. You can click on the click here button at the bottom and see the ATA submission in full. Make your own mind about it. I'm a little bit jaded at the moment as far as they go. There you go. A South Gippsland-based transport company has been charged by WorkSafe for unsafe work practices that allegedly led to two serious truck accidents. Yeah, WorkSafe alleges that the company directed or permitted workers to drive two milk tankers that were involved in separate crashes in February and July in 2020, despite being aware the trucks were unsafe. They are charged for breaches of Section 23 of the LHS Act in that they exposed people other than employees, namely road users, to health and safety risks. So at the moment, they're still facing another three charges. You've got to wonder about these things. You know, I obviously don't know anything about what happened, why it happened or anything like that. Peter Stoich Transport was the company that's involved. They've been around for a long time and they've had a pretty good reputation. They certainly run some nice gear. Mm. It's a family-owned and run business. I can't imagine that they'd be willfully doing things, but having said that, I don't know. Peter Stoich have been approached for a comment, but they've declined. And that's where we're at, mate. Stay tuned. There will be more to come. So you could say it's a case of crying over spilt milk? (laughs) Perhaps you could. Mike, recently on the show, you and fellow truckie Amar Singh talked about the need for our industry to look into ways of working together to bring about multicultural and understanding between drivers. Now, true to your word, you and Amar have created a special event to bring about an awareness of the issues many drivers face and to create a more inclusive attitude where everyone belongs. Well done. Yeah, well, look, we're going to have a go, mate. I've had a few phone calls about this since the story was put up on the Big Rigs Facebook page. Hmm. I'm disappointed to say that I've had some phone calls from some individuals who haven't been very supportive and they've certainly tried to encourage me that the issues are a one-way street. Well, I'm here to tell you the issues aren't a one-way street. Hmm. Armar doesn't even say the issues are a one-way street. Yep. 
I'm very, very disappointed by the couple of people that have rang me up and made complete assholes themselves, to be honest. I bet they're on silent numbers too. They were, mate. I couldn't yep. ring them back and I couldn't identify them. And they're the sort of blokes that wouldn't have the balls to front up and say it to your face. Legends. Legends. Absolute legends. So this is what we're going to do. On the 20th of March, we're going to have what we've called Harmony Day. Mm-hmm. Now, look, there could be a 100 other names for it. We chose Harmony Day because we want to create a little bit of harmony. This is an issue that's been going on for so long. There is so much divisive crap going along. We need to get to know each other. Yep. We're different people. Yep. But we all have one thing in common. We're out there. We're driving trucks. We're all facing the same problems. Our fines are all the same. Our issues are all the same. And even if you think some people... Aussies and Indians and wherever you come from really doesn't matter. There are some skills deficiencies out there in everyone. We all agree that that's true. Mm. That's not the fault of the drivers. They're out there trying to make a living and put a roof over there, just like the rest of us. Yep. Perhaps talking to people rather than getting your phone out or just being an idiot might be the way to go. So we're going to have a crack. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a truck show and shine. There's going to be first prize, second prize, and third prize. They're not little prizes either, $1,500 for the first prize truck, 1000 for the second, 800 for the third. For the show and shine, we're going to have some food stalls and a barbecue. There's going to be some multicultural performances. There's jumping castle for the kids, petting zoo for the kids, a few business promo stalls so that we can have a little look at what's going on and make a point of it. Mm. Stage area to marquee, there's going to be some daytime fireworks. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm certainly going to be there. So if you want to come down and say whatever you've got to say to your face, feel free. Mm. Omar and I are excited to have a try. At least we're going to have a go. Whether we win or whether we don't win, I don't know. But we're going to have a go, mate. We're going to have a red-hot go. Yeah, well, well done to the two of you and well done to the, the businesses that have put some money up behind it to help make it happen too. Well, Penske's got behind it, mate. They're providing the prize money for the three trucks. Yep. Big rigs are behind it. I've had a talk with James there and, and he reckons it's a fantastic idea. I've been talking to Simon O'Hara from Road Freight New South Wales. He reckons it's a great idea. It's early days. We've got a few weeks to sort through this stuff before March 20 to make it happen. We've got several weeks. I organised a whole water run in about six weeks, mate. I reckon a family fun day the back of the Catholic club in Liverpool should be a pushover. Yep, piece of cake. <laughs> be there or be square. Absolutely. Watch this space, folks. More to come on that as things transpire. Can I just interrupt for a second? No. Okay. Yeah, go on. Well, you go. There's one other little thing I wanted to talk about. This is this is a story without notice because I'm good at that. Mm. People need to go to bigrigs.com.au and have a look and see what our friend Jerry Brown Sarr has written there. Why we must get it right with driver training. Mm. Now, Jerry's been around for absolute donkey's years. He's been inducted to the Hall of Fame. He's a Rimula legend, right? In 2005, he was inducted. Mm. He started driving in about 1959, so he's been around the block a few times. We've got a lot of time for Jerry. And he's one of these blokes that calls it like he said. Hmm. In fact, I've had a chat with him. I tried to record him for the show. We just went off into the weeds and it was just ridiculous. I've got to get hold of him again and have another crack. Hmm. But he's talking about what we were taught and where things are going. I'd encourage people to get on and have a read. I don't want to talk about it now because I'm going to talk about it on the show later on. Hmm. But we've spent billions of dollars on roads. We've spent nothing on training and the license review has been going on for 20 years and it hasn't happened. Yep. The NTC and the NHVR, no one takes responsibility for anything. And until someone actually takes responsibility for what's going on, they'll say, oh, that's their problem. That's their problem. Yep. Jerry nails it with this article. Go and have a read. Right. Well, question for you without notice as well, too. I was just thinking before is recent times, the way things have been as we stumble around from one controversial disaster to another. Yeah. We're not hearing much about AdBlue at the moment. How are you finding it out there? Well, the AdBlue, mate, I was at the BP at Lavington yesterday and there was one pump that had AdBlue on it. Hmm. So it is still an issue. It's not as bad as it was, I don't think. I think we're sort of starting to come out the other side of it. Hmm. I've had people say to me, oh, it's just a storm in a teacup. But it has been inconvenient. And some people have taken steps to avoid the problem. If I was to ever go and buy a truck, it'd be a cold day in hell before I ever bought one that needed AdBlue. Mm. But it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be, I don't think. There's certainly some different production avenues that are starting to open up within Australia now. So has the price come down a bit? A little bit. Mm. A little bit. It's like everything else, mate. The price goes up and people get used to paying the price. And then, of course, you've got to see it come down. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Thought for the week. Thought for the week? Thought for the week. I just read that 4,153,237 people got married last year. Okay. Not wanting to sound too pedantic, but shouldn't that be an even number? (laughs) 
I'll leave you with that. You'd think, wouldn't you? Yeah. All right, mate. Go get a shower and move on. Mate, I am. I'm going to be out there trucking again tonight, heading out towards Cobar. So I'll wave to you if I see you. Yeah, good. But I won't see you, will I? No, but wave anyway. I appreciate the effort. Right, I do. See ya. On the Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. G'day, guys. It's time from Tone's Trucking Stories here, and you're listening to the On the Road podcast on the Australian Big Rig Road Show. I drive around the country all the time and I look around and I see these really bloody flash trucks running up and down the highway. Obviously, a lot more of them over here on the east coast than there are on the west coast. I've noticed the fleets that keep their trucks looking really cool. SRV are one of those ones that sort of stand out to me. You see them every time driving up and down the road. The bloody trucks are always clean. The curtains are always clean. The wheels are always polished. They've got some really nice gear. It's a credit to them. I just don't know how the hell they manage to do it. They do the same sort of hours I do, I'm sure, and I try and get mine washed every chance I get, but I'm buggered if I can get it to stay as clean as some of these guys do. I just wonder what it takes to do it. We've got a guy that drives a legend here where I am, man. That thing's always clean. Several years down the track since he got it, it's been very well kept, and it looks as good today as it looked the day he got it. It's a credit to him. But I've got me stuffed how he manages to do it. I really just don't understand. I'm always more than ready just to roll into the bunk. I mean, tomorrow I've got to go for a bit of a drive on some gravel road, you know, and the last thing I want to do tonight is go and polish bloody wheels or wash the truck. I just don't see any point. Keep it clean on the inside, of course. I live in here, but is there anyone else there like me? I mean, do you see a point? You know, it's not a truck show. They're tools. We use them to work. I love to drive the big bangers with all the bling on them and all the rest of it, and I've had a few, but I'm not going to die in a ditch if it gets a bit of dust on it. Some blokes take a different view. I just wonder what everyone reckons. Something to talk about, something to think about. Anyway, take care out there, and we'll see you on the road. Last week, we introduced you to Aussie country rockers McAllister Kemp. And it seems from your response, they've hit the musical nail on the head with their new single. So, back by popular demand, here's McAllister Kemp with one of their earlier songs, All Kinds of Tough. That's our show for this week. Thanks for coming along for the ride. 
On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Be sure to join us again next week when Mike says... It was an education for me. Andy says... What a stupid question, let's try something else. And our guest says... You hammer me with whatever you want. Until we catch up with you again next week, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. Your adverb tough's the kind of stuff that lives in every man. Your adverb tough is more than just what I knew back then. Now it's working overtime when you got mouths to feed. It's paying off that mortgage and it's only Every soldier fighting that may never come home It's sticking to your guns when you're going it alone It's working overtime when you got mouths to feed It's paying off that mortgage, it's on the deep It's every soldier fighting that may never come home It's sticking to your guns when you're going it Oh, God.